Hello, welcome back to Nerd Geek Dork, our podcast where we talk about the nerdy, geeky, and dorky side of things. Uh, I'm Pete the Retailer. With me, as always, is L. Adam. Hello. And uh, today's episode was going to be about something that it's not about. We, are, we had a different episode idea cooked up. One of, the, one of the experts that we had lined up was not available. So instead, we've got this great episode, what turned out to be a, a, a fantastic episode, I think. About, On about, what, 15 minutes notice? <laughs> uh, yeah, more or less. Um, and it's about Ghostbusters. I, I feel like I don't really need to explain to anybody what Ghostbusters is. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Uh, it's a movie from 1984, uh, written by uh, Harold Ramis and uh, Dan Aykroyd. And it's about uh, three men who start a ghost-catching business in the heart of New York City. It's one of those uh, 80s classics that holds up to this very day. It's true. It is a all-time classic, I think. Super uh, quotable. Yeah. Family-friendly. Uh, it's It's... We'll talk about it. We, we go into it a little bit. So uh, with us to talk about Ghostbusters were uh, a pair of Joes. Joe M., Crazy Joe, our pal, and uh, Joe P., who uh, you know supplied our theme music, and he's been on a couple of episodes. Uh, two veterans hashing it out. So uh, let's hear what they had to say. I'm excited. Ghostbusters, I keep thinking that it came out in 1985, but it actually came out in 1984. Yeah. 84 is like the best year for films. Yeah. It's, I, that might be the best Hollywood year of Hollywood films ever. Is that also Beverly Hills Cop? Beverly Hills Cop, Temple of Doom, which we already talked about, Karate Kid, I think. Gremlins. Uh, Terminator. Wow. Yeah, it was really insane. There's like, there's like 25 films that would probably be considered masterpieces. It's like the early 80s, that time when you had, uh, it was like this weird, it was like 70s, you know, they say was the era of the director. And then 80s, there was this like little sweet spot where making good films and well-written films and having good stories still mattered, but with this idea on creating blockbusters. And then all of a sudden it just became about marketing and then films turned into garbage. Star Wars is the, you know. It's what people tend to point out as the the kind of the watershed moment. Yeah, it's it's like a you know a, a peak, and yet also just creates everything terrible in its wake. Yeah, I mean, well, Jaws two, Jaws, Jaws uh, two, no, no, Jaws as well. I guess I think that was the first. I think Jaws was one of the first films that came out where they released it everywhere at once. Yeah, right. yeah that is true. But you had films like Close Encounters. I mean, that was a huge hit. And that's basically an art film if you watch it now. It's yeah. got a little. There's a lot of stuff in it where it's not blockbuster Hollywood filmmaking at all. And uh, I think in the early '80s, a lot of films had that kind of stuff. Like you, like you could tell they were trying to really make characters who were characters and felt realistic. It's just then we added aliens and and stuff like that, so it ended up being a really cool film. And then at some point, it was just about. Uh, I think like with Batman, it just became marketing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There, prob- there probably is a line you could draw from Jaws or Star Wars from that 70, 75, 77 to, you know, 89, 90, 91, you know, Batman kind of era. Yeah. 
Um, and right in the middle of that, we is have the summer of 84, including Ghostbusters. I was um, glad that you uh, put in that segue because I was about to go on a uh, the marketing of Dick Tracy rant. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, Ghostbusters was uh, somewhat, you know, it wasn't over marketed as far as I can tell, other than, you know, that the symbol was kind of everywhere. You know, you can get a T-shirt and whatever. It was post-marketed a lot. Like, for arguments, yeah. let's say the film came out in June. I remember, and I mean, I was nine at the time, but like nine or ten at the time. Like, my impression was just sort of like, this is a film that came out. But afterwards, it was such a hit. Like, I remember there being a Diet Coke commercial that heavily featured the, like, Ghostbusters logo, drinking a Diet Coke. Hmm. And, you know, Ray Parker Jr. suddenly became a huge star. <laughs> Incredibly briefly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks to Huey Lewis. Most of the marketing seemed to be more focused on the cartoon later. That was marketed like crazy. But the movie itself, or at least the first one, not that it was necessarily more highbrow, but it was kind of more, you know, taking itself a little more seriously. It was a film that people legitimately did. It wasn't like meant to be like, how are we going to make millions of dollars making giving people yucks and right. ghosts? Exactly. Well, a lot of yeah, a lot of that was uh, Dan Aykroyd was just into crazy weird shit. Like he as still a, is, yeah, he is, yeah. He <laughs> yeah, was a big fan out. of the occult, like, and he was a big fan of all that ghost stuff. You can tell there's stuff in that film where you could imagine him making that as just a straight up serious non comedy almost. You know, right? Him just writing, you know. Actual like, experiences yeah. with ghosts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he wrote it originally uh, um, as almost not a follow up to the Blues Brothers, but a, another kind of vehicle for him and Belushi originally. Yep. That was the original idea, from what I understand. And then uh, Belushi it, took the title too literally. Yeah. <laughs> um, although they did joke about that later that Slimer was kind of Belushi's ghost, this kind of. Uh, uh, overindulging <laughs> kind of Dionysian uh, spud that just floats around. I believe that is the first time and possibly the only time anybody will use the noun Slimer and the term Dionysian in the same <laughs> sentence. So, yeah, originally it was uh, Ackroyd wrote it for Belushi, Eddie Murphy, and John Candy, apparently. Which would have wow. been, been amazing. Yeah. He knew they were all going to die. Eventually. <laughs> <laughs> we're all going to die eventually. What? I said, we're all going to die. <laughs> no. Eventually. So then, you know, he couldn't get all those people, so he eventually talked Bill Murray into it, which uh, seems to be a, a, a task unto itself, from what I understand. You know, actually, though, when you say that, I kind of cringed for a second, because I was just like, wait, was Ernie Hudson in the film? Because it was originally written for Eddie Murphy, and they just like, well, we need a black guy. I think so. That's uh, kind of gross. Yeah. I'm sure if you asked Ernie Hudson that, he would be like, yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> Granted. Sorry. Yeah. How many of Ernie Hudson's roles have been like, well, we were going for Eddie Murphy, but you'll do. <laughs> oh, poor Ernie. Yeah. No, I'm not to <laughs> not to take anything away from him. What do you think he's doing right now? You you know what? We probably could have gotten him for this. Yeah, yeah. seriously. <laughs> Hold on, let me give him a ring. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then, you know, Bill Murray's character in that, like it, it does, uh, I think, I mean, he had been in Meatballs, he had been in Stripes, but it was, it was his first kind of like, huge, you know, blockbuster breakthrough role. I thought Stripes was pretty huge, but yeah, but other than that, like... Stripes was a, a hit. I mean, Meatballs was a hit, but neither of them were... But Ghostbusters was, like, a summer blockbuster. Yeah. 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 It's weird, you know, I watched Ghostbusters not too long ago, uh, probably far less recently than Adam has. <laughs> and um, 
almost with the exception of uh, Bill Murray, that film is almost played entirely straight to the point where it was like watching it. And um, when Bill Murray's in jail singing and making jokes, it's like, well, wait a minute. Isn't the world about to end? You're really taking this very lightly. (laughs) Well, they did a they did a reenactment not too long ago, the movie, like just a bunch of actors, like, you know, doing a script reading for an audience and whatnot. And so there were two versions of the script. There was the original script as written and then the additional script that had everything that Bill Murray said. Wow. Like a transcript. Like, it, like he, he just completely went off topic. On, like he just had free reign and most of the Venkman is just him. Wow. Which one did they end up doing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember that part. Sorry. It would be neat to just do a reading of the original script without all of his ad libs and it ends up being just Everyone's really thrown off. Yeah. yeah. Terrible and boring. Yeah. What's fun about Ghostbusters? It's a great screenplay. It's incredibly quotable. It's a tight screenplay, too. You know, there's not a lot of wasted time. Yeah. They get right into the story. Mm hmm. Rick Moranis is hysterical in it. Oh, he's oh, he's one of the best parts. Who interestingly hasn't been in anything in ten years. He totally oh. retired. Yeah, yeah. He, he he moved back to Canada and is just raising his kids as some normal guy. Sigourney Weaver was super hot in that. Uh, you think so? I always thought she's. I never. I think she's a little mannish. Eh. Say in, that in general or in that. Uh, in general, um, maybe she's got that like strong jaw. I don't know. I'm just reading here that uh, Gozer, it was this Yugoslavian model. Speaking of, of Manish, she does have that kind of 80s, that Nagel kind of, uh, you know, short-haired European 80s look. Mm-hmm. But originally, uh, Gozer was supposed to show up as uh, Paul Rubens. What? That was their, their original plan was to have uh, Gozer show up in the form of uh, Ivo Shandor, a slender, unremarkable man in a suit played by Paul Rubens. Wow, oh. that would have been cool. This film also keeps, or it might have even began the tradition of William Atherton as an asshole in a movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's true. This was uh, a year before uh, Real Genius, right? Oh, uh, yeah, and several years before Die Hard. Oh, that's right, ain't Die Hard, yeah. Looking at the cast, I see that Jennifer Runyon is in it as the ESP volunteer, I guess in the beginning, with a, you know, just a couple of wavy lines and all that. Oh, mm-hmm. she's in uh, she's in that terrible uh, slasher film Grog and I used to watch, and to all a good night, which I highly recommend to everybody. I feel like she's in like a ton of things that I've seen, but I could never I, I can never kind of just be like, oh yeah, that's her. It's like always I'm watching a movie and I was like, oh, that was Jennifer Runyon. Wait, who is she again? And it's just the name keeps popping up in things. But apparently she was uh, Gwendolyn Pierce on Charles in Charge. Ah yes. Uh, she was. She played Cindy in a very Brady Christmas when the real Cindy kind of disappeared. Looks like a a poor man's Muriel Hemingway or something. Yeah, you know what she is. She is, if you morph Muriel Mer- Hemingway and Elizabeth Shue into one person, <laughs> and Jennifer Runyon. Speaking of Die Hard, you know it's got Reginald Vell Johnson, who's in. You know he's a cop and everything. <laughs> so maybe you know maybe it all takes place in the same universe. Oh, that would be wonderful. Oh, let's let's not forget any pots in uh, Ghostbusters. You know what was interesting about her is they took her. So she's like this nerdish girl in the first one, right? Mm-hmm. Then they made the cartoon show, and in the cartoon show, for some reason, they changed her into more of this like vapid, like "oh my god" kind of girl. Yeah. And then when they brought her back for the second movie, 
they had her character, they changed her character to be like the character from the cartoon. I thought that was really stupid. Good point. It's like, who's wearing the pants here, the cartoon or the movies? Come on, guys. <laughs> I like any situation that leads to the exclamation of the cartoon is wearing the pants. <laughs> Actually, I, while I love Annie Potts and Ghostbusters, I worked with a guy who would always answer the phone, Ghostbusters, what do you want? <laughs> Which sort of makes me hate Annie Potts in that film. This is getting a little bit into the cartoon again, but the reason why the Ghostbusters cartoon was called the real Ghostbusters is because there was something called Ghostbusters in the, was it in the 50s, I think? I believe it was like the 70s or something. Like there was Yeah, a it was live, like 70s. There was a live action filmation uh, show in the 70s. Okay. That the year the Ghostbusters cartoon was coming out, uh, the real Ghostbusters cartoon was coming out, um, filmation just happened to be doing an animated version of their live-action 70s show. Right. Uh, right. Featuring Co- Tracy the Gorilla. Coincidentally. Yeah. <laughs> how about that? And like a lot of filmation product uh, uh, product in the 80s, it was terrible. I won't argue that. Other than title, they, they didn't really have a, anything that similar. Other than They dealt with ghosts somehow busting them, and, and I'm sure busting you know, <laughs> made them feel good. But other than that, uh, there wasn't a huge amount of overlap from what I, uh, from what I recall. No, I mean, it was basically uh, the cast of uh, F Troop and a gorilla, you know, kind of go to haunted houses. Uh, to further pity Ernie Hudson, mm-hmm. on the uh, Wikipedia Real Ghostbusters entry, mm-hmm. Ernie Hudson was the only actor from the films who auditioned to play his character in the series. However, the role was given to Arsenio Hall. <laughs> oh, wow. Damn. Wait, in the cartoon? In yeah. the cartoon, yeah. Wait, they didn't just give it to him? No, they're nope. like, you're not good enough at playing yourself. Let's get our A, they made him audition, and B, he lost the audition. <laughs> Why on earth wouldn't you just give it to him? Right, like, that's, they're saying that you're not good enough at playing yourself. That, yeah. The role you originated. Yeah. <laughs> Only thing I could see is maybe you want a kind of uh, a clean break from the movie, right? True. Like, you don't want any of those sounds, uh, the same voices. It's a little confusing. Well, do you remember, uh, I, I don't remember much of the cartoon, but there was one episode of the real Ghostbusters where they went to the theater to watch Ghostbusters, the movie. <laughs> that sounds familiar to me. And it wow. was it was the differentiation, like they kind of were trying to write around, kind of retcon what was called the real Ghostbusters, other than the fact that Filmation... Uh, was having a show called would, the Ghostbusters. Would, yeah, had, had legally had the right to call themselves Ghostbusters. The gimmick behind the cartoon was it was a cartoon about the guys who the movie was based on. Okay. So you're watching the real Ghostbusters, and then they, they decided to write a movie, a, a, a 1985 successful comedy about them, which is kind of, it's a little bit of a mindfuck thing. But yeah. It's also kind of clever, though. One thing I find, I'm thinking back about Ghostbusters, and that was... When that film came out, that was huge. That was like, I was obsessed with that film as a little kid. And uh, and what was cool back then is you went and saw the movie. And I think I was, uh, let's see, I was eight or nine. You went and saw the movie and then that was it. You didn't get to see it again. You didn't get to go rent it on video or whatever. So the only thing you had to, the only thing I had as a reminder of the film was a copy of the music video 
that my dad had taped off of Friday night videos. <laughs> you guys remember that? Yeah. And, and it was exciting because it had clips in the movie. It was just so amazing. You could just watch these clips of the movie anytime. And all these, there's a bunch of celebrities in that video too, I think. Oh, yeah, isn't it? It's at the end. It's almost like random people just turn around and they're like, Ghostbusters. Like they sing along with the, uh, with yeah. the chorus at the end. Which he got, he got sued for that song, by the way. From yeah, Huey Lewis. Huey yeah. Lewis. And I don't think there's much legitimacy to that lawsuit. I don't think his song sounds very much. I think it was I Want a New Drug that they said. Yeah, that song. Yeah. Yeah. I, I read about that recently. I didn't, I, I didn't know about it at the time. You know, a couple of years ago, maybe I read about it. And I, I, I don't, I wouldn't have said that myself. I wouldn't have put it together. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't have been like, oh, yeah, that sounds like I want a new drug. But you can kind of see it. But I, I don't think it's, uh, you know, it's the letter of the law, not the intent. Like, it's like, yeah, technically that does kind of sound like that. But I definitely could see that they were like, hey, we want to use this song. He won't let us use it. Can you write something in the vein of I want a new drug? And so he wrote the song. But musically it's not very similar it's totally different notes chorus instrumentation hmm. i was gonna say how many songs between 1983 and 1985 can we say sound exactly like i want a new drug you know on pop radio it wasn't exactly a a, a wide spectrum of choice at the time it's true also in music i wanted to point out something i always kind of felt bad for the bus boys who do the ghostbusters theme song that didn't Make a million dollars. Wait, what? what? The uh, song in there that's like the like kind of jump blue song, and the Ghostbusters came there cleaning up the town. What are you oh, talking? Oh, about? yeah, 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 yeah. The, in, within the movie. Yes, within the movie. Yeah, there's the. But it is about Ghostbusters. I mean, it is like a Ghostbusters theme song. Right. Wait, when is that in the movie? It's uh, like when stuff actually starts picking up, like their business starts kind of picking up, and they're just like. I think oh, might, might that might be the, the first time that the that the Ecto one comes out. Oh, and just, when they get the call, like she I mean, rings. it's just on the uh, it's just on the song that's on the soundtrack. Yeah, but I mean, you do hear the song in the film, uh, and they like also they kind of they play it a lot in the film. Like they play it, like they'll play the, they play the opening bars when um, uh, Venkman Spangler and Egon like run out of the library. They mm. kind of they sort of like jump blues like piano riff. Do 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 do. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, and the lyrics so like specifically mention the Ghostbusters and basically tell the plot of the film with the final explanation of then the Ghostbusters came there cleaning up the town. Uh, slightly interesting uh, side note story. When I was, uh, I guess, 10, my family, we visited New York for the first time. And I was so excited because I wanted to see the Ghostbusters building, mm -hmm. uh, the one that, you know, she lives in in the movie. Oh, so I took a friend there yesterday. <laughs> no, there is no Ghostbusters building. <laughs> Because there's those wide shots and it's got the, the what is it, the Sheep's Meadow, or what's that called, the Meadow? Not the Grand Meadow, that's Prospect Park. But what's the Big Lawn? In, is it just called the Big Lawn? Uh, oh, great the Great Lawn. And there's like, yeah, the Sheep's Meadow and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, so we spent about two hours driving around New York and this person and that person would say, oh, the Ghostbusters building is that way. We drive up this way, we go that way. And it was like, I think after asking about like two dozen people where the Ghostbusters building was, we asked the cop. And the cop's like, oh, that's not a real building. But it is. Um, no, no, no. It's the, on, no it, the apartment building is, is definitely real. The only thing is they did a matte painting. They painted yeah. like extra floors. But it's there. And right next door to it is the church that Stay Puft steps on. It's all right there. But the, the, the establishing shots of the building, like if you're looking for that building that they show in the movie, you're not going to find it. 
Yeah, it's it's easier if you if you pay more attention to how you saw the ground view, like the front view. Right. Yeah, you're going to be looking for the taller building. I had to explain that to my friend as well. But yeah, you can see the church in the front of the building. Yeah. I did see, I know I did pass the uh, fire station, though, a couple times when I lived in New York. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, downtown on Moore Street, I think. Yeah, it's I used to see the firehouse uh, when I used to get onto wetlands, because it was not too far oh, from yeah. there. It was yeah. a couple blocks away. I have a really nerdy like piece of verisimilitude problem that I had with Ghostbusters. Go for it. When Dana opens her uh, refrigerator door in her apartment, yeah, uh, you see she has a, a a can of Coke that has the uh, the top of the Coke can like uh, is sort of conical, like a standard Coke can is now. Okay. Where at the time those were marketed in California, but not yet in New York. In New York, you still had the uh, completely um, cylinder shaped Coke can. Huh. So that was a set in California. Always something that drove me crazy. Wow, that's something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like it more if you didn't watch the movie because of that. If you're like, I can't watch Ghostbusters because the soda cans are wrong. <laughs> Fortunately, I, I have not achieved that level yet. Give me 10 years. Yeah. Uh, Ghostbusters 2. Not very good. <laughs> hey, man. Hey. Hey. Okay, Peter McNichol's really funny in it. Yeah. You were like the buzzing of flies to Vigo. I, but, have you, I, I, I've, I've talked about this from time to time because it's something that I really like, but there's a guy, uh, kind of a comedian, uh, a British comedian guy who would just call up uh, these, these call-in quiz shows uh, that they have. You know, they'll do like daytime TV and they'll just have people, you know, like a live host just asking kind of trivia questions and people will call in. And he made a thing out of calling up as many of these as would take his call. And no matter what the question was, you know, it could be a word jumble. It could be a trivia question about the war. It could be anything. And his answer, he would always just call up and be like, I think I know it. Is it, is it Ghostbusters 2? No, no matter what, you know, it was like, you know, unscramble the following letters, you know, C-R-A-V-T. And he'd be like, is it Ghostbusters 2? And uh, it, it got pretty hilarious because people started to suddenly recognize him from that. Like they knew, like if you were on a quiz show, you knew to be like, oh, keep an eye out for this guy. <laughs> uh, I think it's a great kind of uh, public art project. That's pretty sweet. I, um, I, I enjoyed Ghostbusters too. I quoted a lot, you know. Well, I mean, I'm not saying it's the worst movie ever made. I'm just saying that it is a far cry from the original. It's true. I remember not thinking it was that bad i think i had maybe heard that it was bad i don't i don't think i saw it in the theater i think i had to wait until it came out on video or something um and i remember being like oh this isn't as bad as everybody thought but then the more you know the few times that i've gone back to it i've been like oh this is as bad as everybody thought you guys should have been younger when you saw it like me hmm. possibly also i'd like to point out that uh, you do not be- go from being a classical cellist to an art restorer those are not two careers that you can meld into <laughs> <laughs> they are when you've been possessed because it's a whole new life, you know. <laughs> like every everything. That's actually, changed. the best uh, counter argument I've ever heard for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole new thing. Um, Ghostbusters two does lead to one of my favorite uh, stories of someone yelling something out in a theater. Um, I, I sadly wasn't there to experience this, but uh, my good friend Lewis uh, went to go see Ghostbusters two as a child. Lewis Tully. Yes. And uh, 
there's the scene where they're trying to figure out they need something positive to inspire the whole city, you know, right before they get the Statue of Liberty. And as they're they're kind of like realizing what they're going to do, you know, the camera does a, a zoom in on the license plate of the Echo 1 because it has the Statue of Liberty on it. And apparently some guy got a little too overexcited and was like, it's the Ecto-1! They're going to get the Ecto-1! And, like, everyone in the theater just kind of, like, groaned at him. But what if they had used the Ecto-1, you know? Like, that would have made that guy's day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this, that movie also gets me in trouble with a lot of ladies, too. <laughs> Be- Go ahead. Hear, hear me out. Uh, because I tend to, like, if... If someone's carrying bags or something, I'm like, hey, do you need help or something? Like, no, I got it. And I go, of course, you're tough. You're a harbor chick. And (laughs) most of the time I get that look like, excuse me. And I have to explain the whole like, oh, no, it has to do with the Statue of Liberty and Ghostbusters 2. They're wondering if they can make her walk faster. And they're worried about her foundation crumbling. And maybe they should have built Nikes for her. (laughs) And Beckman saying, nah, she's tough. She's a harbor chick. She can handle it. Maybe just lead with, you know. Once you say that and they look uh, confused or offended, just be like, oh, I, I was comparing you to the Statue of Liberty, a, a, a beautiful uh, icon of... Uh, Rustic bronze yeah. goddess. <laughs> of verdigris and... Uh... <laughs> or you could just spray her with pink stuff and play Jackie Wilson songs. That's true. <laughs> and hook up some kind of Nintendo controller to her. A Nintendo Advantage. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, you couldn't just, you couldn't empower the Statue of Liberty with just a, the regular, like, D-pad. Come on. Yeah, not at all. You need to be able to control That's, the finest movements. You get blisters on your thumbs and all that. It would be terrible. Uh, yeah, you know, Ghostbusters 2, I mean, there's a couple of things that just always immediately strike me wrong about it. Like, the fact that there's a lot of time spent on showing you that a baby is cute. <laughs> we knew that already. Yeah, really bugs me. There's also that, like, what did people take from the original Ghostbusters? Slime! This movie's going to have tons of slime! <laughs> right. Like, yeah, like, they were playing on the whole thing it became after it, the machine. Like, Changing Annie Potts' character. Slimer's in a ton of Ghostbusters, too. Isn't he in it a lot? Yeah, he, he like, pops up all over the place. Yeah, because yeah, he was in... I mean, in the movie, he's barely in the original. He's only got that one little scene. Yeah. And then they put him all over the uh, the cartoon. He's, like, a character in the cartoon. Yeah, he, yeah. Had, he had his own spinoff, too, I think, after a while. Yeah, he really? really. came to the show, apparently, to Slimer and the real Ghostbusters. Right. Wow. He got top billing. <laughs> Way higher than Ernie Hudson. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's. I, I think we're enough past. Like the problem with Ghostbusters too is that it came out kind of within the and within the kind of uh, statute of limitations of Ghostbusters. You know what I mean? Like we were still all hyped up on the original to a certain extent, uh, and uh, now enough time has passed that I think you, you wouldn't have to feel like you had to play towards those those same notes, you know what I mean? Like the things that, that problems that Ghostbusters 2 had where it had to, it felt like it had to do Slimer and all the other stuff that had become hype. You wouldn't have to do that now. You can do whatever you want. You know what they should do for Ghostbusters 3? They should get Crocodile Dundee to be <laughs> in Ghostbusters 3. As a ghost or? No, just as like, uh, I don't know, they have to team up. Like he's the only one, <laughs> like sort of evil crocodile ghost demon. Hmm. And he's the only one that's the knows ghost of Steve the... Irwin. There you go. Oh, so you need yeah. a crocodile Dundee to hunt a crocodile hunter. Nice. Do you guys think we'll see a? 
remake of Ghostbusters in our lives? I hope not. Never. Well, I, I don't want it. I was, I was uh, reading the wiki earlier and trying to figure out which is more likely to get made. Is it Ghostbusters 3 or Ghostbusters, like a remake of Ghostbusters? Like, I would say the prior. I mean, no, the remake. Yeah, I would say the remake is more likely. Because there is that, you know, the script going around for years, different different ideas of, of you know, uh, like Dan Aykroyd's been just coming up with all kinds of different, you know, crazy uh, paranormal ideas and Harold Ramis is in on it, but they, they can't get it to <coughs> Bill Murray or whatever. Um, so, like, you know, in theory, there is momentum behind that. It's just, it's all uh, apparently relying on Bill Murray to find the script in his house and read it. I think I really like Bill Murray. I like his films, but he does seem like he's just kind of a dick, just that for dick's sake sometimes these days. And I actually think it would be really cool for them to make Ghostbusters 3 without him and figure out how to make it awesome. You think, I mean, you'd have to get like, you'd have to have like someone else that's funny play like Venkman's kid. Is it conceivable to make a Ghostbusters 3 without, without Bill Murray? I don't think the studios would do it. I don't think you'd get anyone to buy into it, you know? Unless you brought in, you know, like the uh, that same kind of thing where it's just like, oh, here are the old Ghostbusters and here are the new Ghostbusters. Like, you know, like a handoff to, uh, you know, whatever whatever hot young Hollywood talents they, they wanted to tie to it. Well, is there anyone that's like, say, because he was... Uh... This was th- one of the most depressing things about a year ago or two years ago was when I was reading about Ghostbusters and and Bill Murray was like 34 when he's in that and uh, I think Dan Aykroyd's maybe like 30 mm-hmm. or 31. I'm like shit, I really have not done anything with my life. But uh, <laughs> who? I mean, who would be someone that is like 30? Is there anyone funny enough? Like Paul Rudd could? Paul yeah, Rudd? Paul Rudd definitely. Uh, I would. I would buy a ticket to a Paul Rudd Ghostbusters movie. Yeah, I would check that out. I think they could make that work. I could see Patton Oswalt being in there somewhere. That see that's but then this this is the sequel, not the remake. So if they did this with the kind of blessing of and the involvement of the original cast, that's one thing. But if they do, you know, like those movies never existed, and here's Ghostbusters, and it's extreme and it's new. I feel like Paul Rudd might be a little too old though, but that would be a good idea. Like yeah. Seth Rogen, though. Like Seth Rogen be, could be pretty cool as a Ghostbuster. Do we like that guy? I like yeah. Yeah. It's hard to hate Seth Rogen because he does. He is kind of everywhere and does, uh, you know, a lot of stupid movies. But he's also been in some good stuff. I'd go see him in Ghostbusters. I would totally. I would go check that out. I I did like what uh, Bill Murray did when they were still talking. You know, like Ghostbusters three could happen, and he basically said. I'll only do it if Ernie Hudson gets equal billing and equal screen time and equal pay as all of us. Oh, really? that's pretty awesome. I yeah. didn't know that. That is awesome. Because he was like, he was like, you know, I don't think he's even got like main billing on the second movie either, you know? Is he on the poster for that? I can't I remember. I don't think so, no. Um, I, I remember at one point he also uh, was saying he would only do it if he was a ghost. Yes, I remember that too. Like he just wanted to show up and do like, you know, two days filming in a green screen you know, studio or something like that. I wonder if it's all blowback from um, Bill Murray used to proudly exclaim that we are not going to call the sequel to Ghostbusters Ghostbusters 2. Really? No way, no how. And maybe it's just like he's never gotten over the fact that that's what they called the second film. Huh. That was actually impressively unimpressive that they went that way. 
Because yeah, if they called it Ghostbusters and gave it a name, like went like an Indiana Jones route, you know? Right. Um, also, why did it have to be in New York? They could have gone anywhere. They could have like they could have been like hired to eradicate ghosts from like a an ancient Chinese temple or right or like a London dungeon or Ghostbusters three. They should have to go to North Korea. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they'd film it somewhere else and call it North Korea. I'm just getting now, like, because initially I was like Ghostbusters three, kind of that would be stupid. You know, like Ghostbusters 2, I thought it was pretty disappointing. It's got some funny stuff. And it's it's one of those sequels that probably if there had not been a Ghostbusters 1, Ghostbusters 2, it's an okay film on its own right. It's really not that bad. Right. It's just so, you know, it's like the Temple of Doom thing. Yeah, you know? you're just, comparing it to this kind of uh, cultural phenomenon. Right. Um, but there is a lot of cool visual ideas in Ghostbusters 2 and... And the, the the Statue of Liberty coming alive is kind of dumb, but it's fun. I think Ghostbusters 2 really lacks a good enemy. But actually, you know what's interesting about first Ghostbusters? And this is interesting because usually, like a film, you really do need a good antagonist. And there really isn't an antagonist, a singular antagonist that shows up in Ghostbusters until the final 20 minutes. Well, uh, the EPA guy, which, by the way, I love the fact that the major antagonist in Ghostbusters works for the (laughs) Environmental Protection Agency. Yeah, that that would never fly today. You know, Ghostbusters is kind of you ever get one of those hit record like an album where uh, I'll give an example that you you guys probably don't know. Or I don't know if you guys are Def Leppard fans or not, but, you know, uh, Pour Some Sugar on Me was like the big hit. Right. And uh, then you get the album and you end up like, that's your least favorite song after a while because there's all this more to it. So Bill Murray's kind of like that hook that gets you in the Ghostbusters. You know, you laugh at his funny jokes. But really, the film has a lot more going on. That is the reason it's so good and so timeless. That's true. Yeah. It really has aged well, too. Like, when you watch it, I mean, it definitely feels like an older film, but... I'm sure, like, a 10-year-old person or a 15-year-old could get and start watching that movie and love it just as much as we loved it. I I will say one thing, though. Being of the age that I was one when the movie came out... um, Wow, is that true? You were one. Yeah. You old bastards. Yeah. Um, You know, watching the cartoon and the way the toys were marketed, it was a long time before I put together that Stay Puff was not a good guy. (laughs) because <laughs> i mean i had like tons of stay puff toys and like a large one small ones you know and he was always smiling and kind of broke my heart when i learned that you know that wasn't the case because even in the cartoon they'd summon him sometimes to like help them it was you know it's weird you know it brings up a good question when he uh shows up why don't they just have him show up on the building why does uh choose the form of your destructor and I will put him three blocks down the road <laughs> and make it so that he has to climb up the building. Like, why not? And why not just make him as big as the building? Oh, well, maybe he, they needed some kind of like raw materials in order to like make him fabricate the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Like, oh, he had to form out of actual marshmallow from a marshmallow factory? Yeah, so maybe yeah. there's a marshmallow factory Blocks, or like a, you know, some kind of uh, confectionery down the, down the block. I just, I guess I'm think I'm just saying, like in hindsight, Ray actually chose something pretty good. Because if the first thing he thought about was just like say a black hole of death, right? There's no way they wouldn't have had time to fight him. 
And also, is the state or a spaceship or something, or an alien invasion? Right, something fast moving and deadly. Yeah, instead he picked a giant lumbering thing that they actually could shoot. Is Stay Puft uh, sentient, or is Stay Puft just like a force of nature? I don't know, because he's it's just a form for this evil, so, huh. I thought he was Zool, right? Well, the, Wait, gr- which the girl is Zool, is- right? Oh, no, Gozer. Gozer, right. yeah. Zool is, uh, so Zool is, which one's Gozer and which is Zool? Wait, uh, Zul is the is the the girl, right? Okay. Oh, oh man, my brain is. And Gozer it's... then is is the uh, the deity which takes the form of uh, let's see, Gozer the Gozerian, also known as the Destructor, Volgulus Zidrohar, and the Traveler is a fictitious Sumerian shape shifting god who is the primary antagonist of the first film, and then Zul. Let's see, Zul what? is the demigod worshipped as a servant to Gozer. Oh, okay. So right. Gozer is who shows up. Gozer Go- is the chick. No, Zul is the chick. Wait. No, Zul is no, uh, isn't Dana, Dana Barrett is Zul, I thought. Oh, right. There is no Dana. There's, but then when she... Yeah, there... Then she becomes the the, uh, the other girl, right? the European model girl. No, no. she The European model girl just shows up. That's I think that's Gozer. Yeah, Gozer's yeah, the uh, Gozer apparently is the uh, the girl. Okay, because she's a shapeshifter. So she's like, all right, here's what I look like now, but I'll I'll be nice and let you decide what I look like when I destroy you. No, no, no. That's still that's still a separate thing. The destructor, it's just the form of the destruction, if I'm remembering correctly. Like, you know, but it's I just like this is I how you're know. gonna die. Does she disappear and no, she's still there. They don't they just zap her and she disappears. I guess she yeah, I guess she just oh, becomes, oh that's right. Yeah, she just becomes yeah, you're right, dude. No, you're, she, they zap her, she disappears, and then they hear her voice. Yes. Yeah. Choose the form of your destruction. Yeah. It's not she's not actually there saying it. It's just like echoing around. I just I think uh Gozer the Gozerian I, I give Gozer credit for being dramatic though, you know. True. True. Yeah. Like, like, I'm not just going to show up here and destroy you. I'm going to show up down the street. I'm going to step on some cars. I'm going to step on a church for no reason. And a bond villain complex. Exactly. I'm not going to destroy you right now. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not just going to shoot you in the head right now. Well, if it was a demigod, you know, it needs the the kind of emotional reaction from people to in order to. That's how they get their powers. So Gozer, Gozer loses. Just because it was, he was stroking his ego. He was just trying to. He got cocky. Hubris, <laughs> man, always brings you down. It was hubris that killed Gozer the Gozerian, not the Ghostbusters. <laughs> All right, so that was our episode about Ghostbusters, hastily assembled but uh, entertaining nonetheless. Can I can I can I just throw something in? Uh, sure. In case for anyone who's listening and is curious, uh, Dana Barrett's building from Ghostbusters is on uh, it's 55 Central Park West, between oh, uh, 65th and 66th Street. Nice. Uh, you'll notice it because it's right next door to a church, the mm-hmm. church that, as I mentioned, Stay Puff Marshmallow steps on. Um, 
And it's not too far from uh, Tavern on the Green. What's the address of the firehouse? That's uh, on 110 North Moore Street. It's on the uh, lower west side. Yeah, over by uh, Hudson or something, right? Yeah. Uh, the street or the river, either way. It's, yeah. So it's over there. Yeah, it's right right by the Hudson River. All right. All right, so uh, we're, we'll wrap it up for today. Uh, we're going to thank Joe and Joe for uh, pinch hitting for us there and, and coming up with some entertaining stuff. So uh, we'll be back uh, in uh, two weeks or so. Um, with an episode again, I won't spoil it. I'll, I'll, I'll let it just uh, in case something let happens. it ride. Just in case something happens, we have another emergency. But uh, should be a good one, I think. Yeah. Stance is getting a ghost blowjob.